0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be giving you all a recap of the Blue Iowa Wolves game as well as a preview of the Thunder Miami Heat game. Now, I don't normally do this, but this is kind of crazy. There is a 10 hour difference between the tip offs we saw from the OKC Blue today. And the tip off time you're gonna see from the Thunder Miami Heat game. So, the Blue game starting at 10 a.m. First game in the whole entire day, obviously. And the Thunder, they're playing the Heat at 8 p.m. So, pretty spaced out here. Wanted to make sure I could get a uh, podcast out for you guys today. So, if I waited for the heat game, there was no way on earth I was going to get it out to you guys. So, we're going to chop it all up. Maybe you guys might like this style anyways because I know whenever I do back to back, I get super long episodes. I like talking like 25 to 30 minutes on both teams when I can. So, maybe you guys might be more interested in a format like this. I don't know exactly how it's going to work because it's kind of crazy. Every single day, these two teams seem to be playing. There's no like one day the Blues playing, one day the Thunder's playing. It's always exact tam- ex- the exact same. And I, I don't know if like the NBA and G League purposely did that, but it's kind of wild. Anyways, just going into this Blue game though, pretty interesting because the Blue, they were 6-1 entering the game. One of the top dogs in the entire G League. They're looking for a championship. There's no question about it. Iowa Wolves they're not even looking at a championship, I don't even know if they're looking at a playoff spot right now, they are looking at getting a win, so they got in the game at 0-7, and they have a couple of kind of special guys, or at least in relation to the OKC Thunder organization, they are, because they had links with their two starting bigs, you got Zylan Cheatham, who I had as like one of the last cuts for the OKC Thunder, I thought that You know, Presti may have wanted to take a swing on him. Athletic guy who can play the four, even slide up to the five at times. Thought, hey, maybe it'd work out. Also went to Arizona State, Lou Dort and him, great friends from what you can see on social media. Take that as you will, but maybe that gets you some teammate chemistry. He got cut off, and he ended up getting over to the Minnesota Timberwolves affiliate in the Wolves. And you also have a big man who... He didn't play for the Thunder at all last season, but he was with the G League affiliate Blue, and that was Tyler Cook. He played nine games in the last G League season with the Blue, and he actually got traded in December. We got Vincent Edwards in return for him. Now, Vincent Edwards doesn't really play for us. I believe he's a Purdue product. Might be a little bit up there in age by now. Tyler Cook, I mean, he's not a crazy veteran. I think he's like 24 But he is a great center, and he wanted to make a statement. Both of them did. Everyone on the Wolves did because they wanted to get a W, but they could not get it. They clawed and they clawed, and they almost got there. They almost got to the prize, but the blue got hot when it mattered. They ended up taking the game 128-122. to So the blue, they advance up to 7-1 in the standings. That is good for second-best in the G League because there was a major matchup today. We saw the Delaware Blue Coats, the last remaining undefeated squad, going up against the 6 and 1 Erie Bayhawks. Bayhawks ended up winning. So, they are the number 1 team in the G League right now while the Delaware Blue Coats and the Blue are tied at a 7 and 1 record. And Erie, we play them soon, so potentially the Blue could jump up If they're able to stay winning and defeat the Bayhawks. Because they win that tiebreaker. And since that's the only real one. Since we have not seen the Delaware Bluecoats. Yeah, they'd be number one in the entire standings. For the Iowa Wolves, nothing changes here. They're still undefeated. Really sucks for them because they have been super close. I think the commentator of the game actually noted. That the Wolves have lost four games by a margin of five or less points. This one right outside the door being six but that has got to be demoralizing for your squad. Anyways, to start out the game, the OKC Blue, they were in full-on attack mode. They wanted to get inside to the paint, and they were getting it done. Moses Brown, Pokachevsky, 7'2", feet, Go in for the layups. Who's going to contest you? Tyler Cook, Cheatham, they are too tiny. I think Cheatham's like 6'6". Six six. He is pretty big, though, so he can slide over, but... Yeah, it didn't work out for them too well. So they got the first six points for the blue. Iowa actually had a little bit of a run, though, to counter that. And they actually got on a stretch where they got in front, and then the blue would get in front, exchanging shots constantly. There were seven lead changes in the first six minutes of play. So that is pretty wild. The blue went on a nice mid-quarter run, though, to get Iowa down as much as eight points. And it never really got moved. Ended up being 34-27 to 27 in Oklahoma City's favor through the first period, and it's kind of crazy because the Wolves were doing almost everything right on offense. They shot 55% from the floor and 50% from downtown on 3-of-6 shooting. They had some pretty clumsy mistakes, though, and that's why the Blue had a 7-point advantage. They had 5 turnovers, which, on paper, yeah... That may not be too bad, but the points off the turnovers are deadly. Those are fatal blows, and you cannot allow them. The blue, they were not constantly getting the perfect shots. They were kind of given them by the Wolves just not playing. So they had 11 freebie points off of these five turnovers. You can't do that, and it helped bolster up their field goal percentage. They shot 52% in the quarter, so a little bit worse Then the Wolves, but hey, whenever you're looking at it, the scorecard from quarter one, you wouldn't even notice. So that is what it is right there. Blue getting a quick lead here, and they wanted to continue to keep that lead up in the seconds. they were very, very physical to start things out. They were forcing a lot of contested shots, making them go into more bad passes. You get even more turnovers while you're at it. And they're making some really scrappy plays at the basketball to try to set the tone. And I'd say Jalen Horde, he kind of was the one who had the torch on the offensive side. Like, there was no true leader whenever the bigs got out. So Horde, he was the one who wanted to step in. And he was just aggressive. He went drive after drive at uh, the Wolves. And even was bearing down some triples to start out the quarter. And because of that, the Wolves wanted to start cramming the paint. They don't want any free buckets coming inside. So you know what happened? They started kicking the ball out. Ty Jerome, he splashed down a triple. Omer Yurt Seven, the seven-foot big man, he got a top-of-the-key three to go. They weren't covering it, and they made him pay in a major way because the Wolves were down as much as 17 points. In the second quarter, you cannot do that. That's going to put you in such a big hole. And the only chance of coming back probably would take you a couple quarters. And that might have been just what happened here. I mean, even though there's a 17-point lead, that's not what anyone's going to be talking about. It's already all over social media. But Pokaczewski had a highlight reel in the second quarter alone. He's going to be on Center. That is a surefire guarantee because in the quarter... He had an insane pass. This was like someone tried chucking a, a, like a pass down to him. And it was so far ahead, it was going to go out of bounds. So, Pokačevski he goes flying. He ends up grabbing the thing, flips the ball like over his head. No look here. And it was like a perfect alley-oop pass to Moses Brown. He gets up, lays it right in. Absolute beauty. This guy's going like a freaking gazelle. He was like. He was like full speed ahead, falling out of bounds, but he flipped it up just in time. Perfect pass. I don't even know if he knew anybody was there, but I'm just going to assume that he had some great awareness to get that play. And then in the very next Thunder possession, he pretty much did the same thing with Moses Brown. He was baiting the defense around. No look behind the back dump off to Brown for another quick two points. And that's how they were able to coast to a 71-0. 54 lead just off of all these crazy passes too many options xavier simpson was doing it too. that's going to cause a lot of issues for opposing sides and they keep on doing it that's what i love about this team however in the second half it was kind of a different story iowa they were the ones being the aggressors they erased the deficit going on a 17 7 run to start out the uh, the third there, and it got it to a one-possession game pretty quickly, and the Wolves kept pouring on buckets in bunches, and they got the lead back in such a short period of time. Are you kidding me? And right as that happened, I think the gears finally started churning in some of these blue players. Jalen Horde, again, I'd say was the initiator here, because there was no Brown. No Pokachevsky, you're straight up just looking at the bench. And Jerome and Simpson, both of your traditional playmakers, they're starters now because Randall's gone. All these other things are happening. Yeah, they're certified starters. There's not a true PG off the bench for you. So you need to look towards some of these other people to try to take on playmaking roles. That's what Horde ended up doing. So he helped out and he led the team to get their act together. I mean, prior to this. They were 4 of 14 so getting a couple buckets to go got the momentum kind of running through everybody stopping the bleeding I guess you could say and then they ended up finishing the quarter on 5 of 9 shooting that's 56% that is infinitely better than 29% almost doubling that seemed like that quick jolt probably would have propelled them to the lead but they actually were not in the lead at the end of the third the Wolves, they were up just one point. It was 100-99. to 99. That is crazy. That's a final score right there, but you get it at the end of 36 minutes. I mean, they were dominant for 12 minutes, not five minutes, you know? So they shot 50% through the third, and the consistency, that's really what kind of helped them out there to have themselves in the game come quarter number four. And in quarter number four, we saw OKC... In its purest form, again, they always seem to rise up when necessary. It's something blue, whenever they're faced with adversity. Always tend to do. No one is afraid to take the shots here, and that's what I love about them. And they want to make sure every look is the best. There's no shot chucking for the most part. There's a couple of exceptions, but really nothing to be too worried about, I would say. The blue, they cooked up eight straight points to start out the fourth quarter. And it came off of Antonius Cleveland and Ty Jerome. Cleveland was still going inside, keeping up what he was doing yesterday. Hit a three. Jerome also sticks a three-point shot. But the Wolves had a response because they also started to kind of get some points on the board. And and the Blues slowed down. So it went back into this tug-of-war where we saw five lead changes and two ties in that period. And there really was no turning point until we saw the game tied at 116 to 116 there's about two three minutes left and pokachevsky and moses brown they are back in the game and what do you know you get another pokachevsky dump off pass to moses brown too tall for everybody lay it in and get your two points wolfs want to come down court they put up a floater, heavily contested. They could have kicked it out, got a much better look. Opted for that, though. That's a clear brick. On the other side, you got Ty Jerome still surveying the floor. He's a playmaker first, sharpshooter second. And guess who he saw? He saw the man himself, Alexey Pokachevsky. Gets it right to his chest. His release is too quick. You can't contest him. Left wing, catch Fire, bang. That is a nothing but net three-pointer to put you up five points. And then Wolves, they are frozen again. They miss. Antonius Cleveland runs the fast break. Gets contact on a layup. Buries them both. 7-0 run. You gotta take seven points again. But now time is against you. You got like a minute left to do all of this. And they got. A, they got a solid run they had four straight points to get it to three again but then moses brown came into his own he got a tip in other end absolute pandemonium by the wolves they brick a shot they get the offensive rebound go up for like a finger roll over two people pokachevsky's right there he's just swatting that thing away say goodbye that is the ball game you can't do that on pokachevsky so anyways blue end up winning off of some really clutch performances at the end there you know they probably should have just blown the wolves out there shouldn't have been a real chance for them but what matters is you still get the victory and you're still looking at potentially taking the crown in terms of the league standings iowa i mean they're not going to be too happy about it they had some nice individual performances with the team though they had four people who dropped 20-plus points in this game. And one person cracked the single-digit mark. It was Zylan Cheatham. I think he had 11 points. But those who dropped 20-plus, you got to start with Lindell Wigginton Now, he came off the bench, but he became the leader by the end of the ballgame. He's the one who kept them in and got those five lead changes and two ties. He was their offense when it came down to it at the very end 11 of 18 shooting just a beautiful there and you also got x thunder player or i guess you could say blue player in tyler cook i think he made a statement to the organization on why maybe he shouldn't have been traded for vincent edwards he had a pretty solid game 26 points on eight of 15 shooting got nine rebounds as well and this may have been the first time that Uh, Moses Brown's opponent actually outscored them I I don't know maybe Jonathan Kuminga if he was playing center but I think Don yeah Dante Hall was so yeah this is probably the first time Brown has been uh, outperformed by someone I don't know if you want to call it outperformed but at least in the shooting category he did lose it but not by that much anyways so he had a good game there Isaiah Briscoe who I forgot existed this guy I thought was going to be a beast just based off of like all the hype surrounding him high school prodigy five-star prospect straight up blue chip ends up going to kentucky and then didn't really have much going for him after that point had something going for him on monday though because he had 25 points on nine of 21 shooting got seven rebounds and seven assists to go along with that being that initiator that he was supposed to be in the league found himself here but he's still playing pretty solid and charlie brown jr starting small forward for the squad gave the blue a little bit of grief here he had 20 points on 7 of 15 shooting but i know you guys probably don't care too much about the the iowa wolves like who are those people maybe you no know briscoe but come on we want to know what's going on with the okc blue team and and I'll tell you right here, I mean, this game was probably the most well-rounded performance we've seen the whole entire season from them. So many different shots were falling for them. They had 46 points in the paint, 51 points off of 17 made threes, and they had 15 made free throws, which on the surface, you're, you're equating that to 15 points. Not how it works in the G League. Those can be one, two, or three points. First 46 minutes, if you get a shooting foul at the two you're getting one shot that equals two points and if it's from three it's gonna be three points same goes along for bonuses and stuff i think it counts as uh as a uh, one free throw for two points but anyways you got a lot of points just from all over the place and the wolves they could not really combat that and there were seven people who helped to get double digits that that may have been a factor as well Alexei pokachevsky clear-cut winner of this maybe he didn't lead the team in scoring but who cares you could just tell his impact today was probably larger than we've ever seen he didn't have as many points as he did on sunday where he dropped 19 but he still had 13 points today and he had nine rebounds to go along with five assists in just 29 minutes all these plays that he was making were so i'd almost say elite Today, I cannot believe that we, like, I could not believe some of the stuff I was seeing from this guy. You know, he has these clumsy plays where he'll get a lot of turnovers fast, and then he'll he'll look like a genius. He will look like the next Pistol Pete. How are you making that pass? That's what a lot of these uh, plays were for Pokachevsky. Same goes along for these shots. Pokachevsky ended up dropping 13 points off of 5 of 13 shooting, so just 39%. However, you do need to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because Pokachevsky a lot of his misses came off of one play in particular. There was like a little tip-in drill. He ends up putting up three attempts in like two seconds. So you wipe those three attempts off and you're looking at a 50% shooting percentage right there. I'm going to take that you might as well just mark it up as that too. Can't get the tip-ins, whatever. That's Moses Brown's job. I think we kind of all get that at this point, but he was shooting it confidently. We've always seen him just jack up shots whenever, and he was shooting it. There was not a lot of pressure applied from the Wolves. They wanted to test him, and it stung him right in the behind because he hit three triples on seven attempts so 43 percent and he was hitting him from a pretty far distance main one though came in the final minute from that left wing the dagger per se rebounds great from him four of those were on the offensive side and the assists i think that kind of just that that's what you're looking at from today i already told you about that sports center-esque play where he's saving it and flips it over his head turns into a sweet alley oop and then you know, where you're looking at him doing the behind the back and such, but that was just him all game, and it wasn't just, you know, plays like that, it was trying to get down low, and that's what I loved about Pogachevsky, he was trying to engage himself on the inside, which is something he has just strayed away from, and he didn't shoot a lot there, the only time he was shooting was off the tips, but whenever he got there, there was a lot of people trying to help out, because he's 7 feet tall, very athletic, leads to him being able to get the wide-open man a, sh- a free shot, and that was through Moses Brown. Of those five assists, four of them went to Moses Brown, and the other one went to Omer Yurt 7. so these centers were loving this guy. They must have given him free dinner after the game. I don't exactly know what the dinner's like in the Orlando bubble. might be like Lunchables or something, but you know, maybe give him a couple uh couple extra lunchable pizzas, I don't even know what they have, but yeah, anyways, centers must have loved him, he was doing a great job as a facilitator, and even coming off screens, he looked super duper cool, whenever the defenders were going under them, he was shooting it from deep, I think that's where he got one of his three-pointers to go in, and he shot more, they went off the mark though, but I really like him trying to just test things out while he can in the bubble and he's, he's on the up and up you need to be excited for him i think that everyone who's been hating on him and complaining they have been just completely silenced in the past two days and i don't know maybe they'll get another laugh later on but come on now you see this i don't even understand why you'd still hate on the guy he looks just great another dude to look great partner in crime right here in moses brown He led the team with 22 points on 9 of 14 from the field, gets 14 rebounds too. One of the main things that was a little bit different with Brown, and I think one of the reasons that the Wolves stayed in the contest, he only had 4 offensive rebounds, and that's something we have not seen from Brown at all. Normally, he's actually getting more offensive rebounds than he is defensive. That's a wild thing to say, but it has been true. At least I'd say past three games. Shut it down. The Wolves were crashing the glass at will. So you're still looking at four offensive rebounds. That's great. Not as high as he's seen though and 10 defensive rebounds. Pretty sweet too. I don't think he was able to kind of just make plays on his own. It wasn't like a lot of post-ups and just slamming it home on people like it has been. I think that his matchup was doing a pretty solid job and Tyler Cook here. But getting those sweet buckets off of Pogachevsky, you can't be complaining. And you love to see that there may be some chemistry brewing between two guys who will be back in Oklahoma City Thunder uniforms by the end of the Orlando bubble. Antonius Cleveland, we don't know where he's going to be going. Solid veteran who, I, I always say this, but he could be playing on an NBA roster as a role player do a great job, he had 21 points on 6 of 11 shooting, he's so damn efficient, I swear, and he still was attacking, that was his number one thing, wasn't being the catch and shoot guy, he had a team high of 5 free throws, and you know, you can't equate those to 5 points, as said, that's a lot more than 5 points that he put on the board, 2 of those came late, so you chalk it up to 3, that may be 2 or 3, but that's still a lot of buckets, so Good on Antonius Cleveland. He looked amazing, and just seeing the diversity in his play is such a treasure to watch. Same with Jalen Horde. I've always seen him as a, you can maybe mold him as like a point forward, but you're not going to see him as a shooter whatsoever. He just silenced me today because he was actually used more as a perimeter threat than on the inside. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't attacking because he was specifically in quarter number two but he he wanted to shoot from deep and he shot three of four because the wolves just were not trying to defend him 19 points on the day for him i think he's one of the main reasons why the blue ended up winning because if it was not for him stepping up the wolves they would have been up a lot more than one point going into the third quarter i just think the momentum would have been completely taken out our souls would be gone and given to the wolf so i really loved how he was doing ty jerome he did great too 16 points a lot of those were coming off of made threes three of his five made field goals did come from deep and two of those were from long long range still trying to attack only had three assists so i mean maybe he was just trying to be more of a uh, shooter He took a backseat role to Xavier Simpson, though, and I will talk about him in a second. I want to talk about Rob Edwards first, though, because, oh my gosh, man, if there's one person who has just taken my heart, I think everyone on this team has been amazing, but Rob Edwards just came out of nowhere, second round pick, like, very back of the second round we're talking to in the G League draft. I think he was pick seven in the second round, which is actually pretty far um back i don't think that all 22 teams participated but anyways i mean he's probably been the best shooter to come out of that class and maybe out the entire nba draft class too he is a marksman from downtown and nobody can stop him i tried equating him to carson edwards and his elite eight run uh i do like as you probably know i do articles on my uh blog kyle singler for mvp.com probably need to get another domain but yeah I mean I equated him to that because Edwards if you guys remember with Purdue he was going up for like 40 points every game he couldn't miss now I'm not saying that Rob Edwards is doing that and I'm not just saying that because they have the same last name but they seriously are playing similar Edwards is a straight-up shot creator but more importantly he will get you three after three out of nowhere and he gets you going one-man offense whenever he's feeling it and that's a trait that you will need to be able to play at the next level i think every single nba executive probably should be looking at him there's so many people on the blue that they have on their boards most likely but edwards is a very unique prospect and someone you could potentially have coming off your bench for a very very long time he had 15 points four of those were on triples and He currently is third in the entire G League on made threes right now. You put four of those on and you check how they look tomorrow. Chances are he's either number two or number one by now. I mean, he's just been so, so good. And Xavier Simpson has been too. It wasn't like he was shooting like crazy. He only shot three of 10. Got 11 points off it. He was more there for the playmaking duties. Nine assists. That's your team high. A lot of needle threaders. I mean, there was specifically in transition, second quarter. He's going up the court. I think he's right side. And someone's slashing in from the left wing. And there's someone like inches behind him. There is practically no window to get a pass off. But he did it anyways. He throws the beautiful bounce like millimeters away from the defender's fingertip. Goes right into the Thunder player's hand. And that's two quick points and that's really what Xavier Simpson does he makes the quick throws he kind of catches you with your pants pulled down I guess you could say that's how he gets a lot of those uh those assists on his uh his resume but he also does it too just working out in the half court pretty fast guy so he navigates checks his options and he always ends up finding the best one so I'm loving Simpson as well you guys are going to be able to see them in action again on Wednesday, they're going to be playing against the Greensboro Swarm, who is led by a familiar name in Admiral Schofield. Had him in the Thunder training camp. Bit of a shocker to some that he ended up getting cut. Found himself in the G League draft, number one pick. He's been one of the best players for the Swarm, and we're going to be able to see them. Blue coming in at seven and one. Swarm coming in at two and five get your popcorn ready, probably will be a good one to watch. One that I know will be great to watch is happening today, and it's with the Thunder and the Miami Heat. They're going to be playing at 8 p.m. Central Time, as stated. The Miami Heat, they are 13 and 17 on the year, while the Thunder are 12 and 18. This is another one of these games where implications for the lottery do come into play, and As a Thunder fan, do you want to want the Thunder to tank, if that makes sense? Do you want to see the Thunder beat the Heat or lose? I guess you may want to see the Thunder win this one, if you don't already want every Thunder game to be a victory, because, look, the Miami Heat, they're only one game ahead of the Thunder right now, as crazy as that sounds. In the Eastern Conference, it's a lot easier to crack the playoffs, so they're not the 14th seed in their conference they're looking right outside the playoff uh the playoff conversation right now so they have a little bit less of a struggle to deal with if they want to make the playoffs don't think the thunder will heat have a solid chance though and they've had a couple of nice games thing that's going to happen is since the thunder will get the best two out of three of theirs the rockets and the heat you're likely looking at the Thunder and Rockets. However, because the Rockets pick is unprotected one through four this year, if they just sandbag their record late and get a top four pick, you get the heats regardless. So I think this is one where you probably need to just destroy them. Maybe get their uh demeanor down again and get them in another losing streak. You just want the best odds possible come, uh, come lottery day. So that's kind of my mindset going into this one. You get a little bit of help here because Tyler Hero is not going to be playing. Same goes with Goran Dragic and Gabe Vincent too, if you care. Those are three guards that they'll be missing out on. For the Thunder, they got George Hill out and they got Al Horford out. He is resting, so we are going to see Isaiah Roby going up against Bam Adebayo. And in the first matchup between these two squads, Bam Adebayo was the star of it all. He ended up having 20 points and 8 rebounds on that game on 9 of 10 shooting. And this is when Al Horford was in the rotation, by the way. I mean, Roby, he played, but it really was not being used as a small ball 5. It was more Muscala doing that. So we have not seen Roby go up against Adebayo for really any significant time here. So that's the matchup you need to look at. How is Roby going to be able to adjust to one of the top centers in the league? And Autobio, it's not like he is a freakishly tall guy. Their measurables actually size up pretty well. Bam Autobio, I believe he's only six foot nine, and Isaiah Roby is six foot eight. So it's very, very close in comparison. Adebayo's two fifty-five. I think Roby is right around the two thirty range. So see how he works out. Autobio's jacked, so he might be able to move around. You just need to limit him. Since you got Hero out that saves you of a sharpshooter, same with Drogic, now you look towards players such as Tyler Hero. Are you going to be able to shut him down? Jimmy Butler's going to be in full swing. How about Kelly Olynyk, who, that might be a shocker, but he was their best perimeter player in the first game. I mean, he was 5 of 7 from 3, 7 of 9 overall, and he got himself 19 points to go along with 8 boards. So, secretly, yeah, That's something you need to fix, too. You got Darius Baisley squatting up against him. If he does claim a starting spot, I'm talking to Linux, of course, not Baisley. But, yeah, Baisley will need to step up. As we've seen, I mean, Baisley, up and down. He is currently on the downtrend. Crack it, maybe, against the Heat. That's the one you want to see that stuff happen. So, uh, you can hope that Baisley fixes his uh his issues. I think I saw people on Twitter just like saying that Baisley just didn't look like he was all there. I'm not going to read into that too much, but yeah, I don't think he was really in attack mode yesterday. Maybe today he's looking a bit towards being an aggressor, and that's going to help out a ton if the Thunder want to win this contest. Shea Gildas Alexander, he sure as hell was an aggressor in Sunday's game. 31 points off of pretty great shooting I would say able to get to the line whenever wherever does it does it on a pretty consistent basis I mean everyone in post game was saying that SGA should be an all-star definitely should and just the veteran moves we've seen from him back that statement up a lot he's likely going to have Kendrick Nunn at the point guard spot defending him Nunn's not the greatest of defenders here so maybe this is a matchup that SGA will be able to take the cake on don't want to sleep on nuns offensive scoring ability though he has turned into a pretty good asset in the absence of Dragic as well as hero i think for us it's going to be a big deal for the bigs look at mike muscala potentially as a deal breaker here because if he's able to be in tip-top shape get you a lot of threes and defend out of bio that helps you out a ton because now you have a i'd say kind of true center who's six foot eleven they want to match up a bit better size wise on bam bam has to get pulled out to the paint now he's a lot faster so he can cover ground but if you have someone like muscala who's getting three after three to go you need to defend him whether it's through help whether it's through out of bio stepping up and that's gonna give you a wide open shot after a couple of extra passes And off the bench, you need to look towards players such as Kenrich Williams and Hamadou Diallo. Hamadou Diallo was amazing on Sunday, doing the dirty work inside. He shot a perfect 5 of 5, plus 5 of 9 from the free throw line to get 15 points. Keep that up against the Miami Heat. That should help out a lot. Same with Kenrich Williams. He was looking towards just playing inside, and you're going to need him defensively to cover a lot of these perimeter players that the miami heat will use same goes with if they're trying to attack in the paint because that was a problem in matchup number one how about teo maladone haven't spoken on him yet he was a perfect catch and shoot guy in the last game probably gonna be the same deal here we'll see how duncan robinson and jimmy butler kind of work out in the rotation i could see butler trying to take on maladone but i could also see duncan robinson taking him so We'll see who gets Dort, who gets Maladone. I think he's still gonna be the guy who gets left wide open if they need to let someone loose. Either him or probably Roby, because with Horford out, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at Roby, and they might not trust him from deep. So those are the two open. You need to make those, and maybe you can beat the Miami Heat and put yourself in a pretty good spot. Get you an extra few ping pong balls from the Heat. Come time for the lotto. So This will be fun to watch. A lot of extra storylines, I guess you could say, to this one. So it's not your typical regular season game. Make sure to watch it. Should be fun. I'll be there to recap it on tomorrow's podcast. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap it up for today. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. See ya.